Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, this is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, July 30th. According to Dennis Buckley, Vice President of Operations for Direct Sourcing Solutions, when it comes to procurement and supply chain management, strong relationships between suppliers and customers have been critically important, and perhaps in some cases mattered most during the coronavirus pandemic and now as the industry navigates the semiconductor chip shortage. He should know. He and the team at the company, better known as DSSI, have been helping automakers, suppliers, and manufacturers in other industries manage their indirect purchasing operations for more than two decades. He says the relationships DSSI has created over the years with its suppliers were instrumental during the height of the pandemic, when the company's customers were scrambling for personal protection equipment. Buckley says it's another example of purchasing and supply chain management principles in automotive have changed over the years, transitioning from those annual and often contentious cost-down conversations between suppliers and automakers to a strategy that is more focused on collaboration and partnership. He also says the industry's need for microchips and EV battery materials are going to make those relationships and procurement function even more important, particularly because suppliers of those commodities often serve multiple industries. Buckley understands why purchasing strategies surrounding maintenance, repair, and operations commodities aren't always top of mind versus strategies surrounding direct materials. But he also says indirect spend can be complex when operating facilities around the world, and there are significant benefits that come from commonization of items like cutting tools, cleaners, and protective equipment, not the least of which is increased worker safety and lower cost. How else will the coronavirus and chip shortage change long-held procurement and supply chain management principles and strategies? And what role does technology play? We've caught up with DSSI VP of Operations Dennis Buckley at the company's Michigan office outside of Detroit. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me today on The Daily Drive. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Steve. It's really uh, exciting to hear from you and to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, it's so wonderful to speak with you. It's been years since we've been able to connect, and I'm thrilled you had a few minutes to talk to us today about supply chain, about procurement, something that DSSI has been in the business of for you know 20-plus years at this point. Why don't we start with a little bit of uh, setting the table for our listeners? Because I think when people hear procurement and purchasing – in the automotive industry, they look at that as just one combined function. But there are nuances between direct and indirect. Can you talk a little bit about what the differences are and and where DSSI focuses its efforts? Absolutely. Uh, again, thanks, Steve, for for allowing me to talk to you today. I um, I'll, let's start with DSSI focuses on what we call indirect materials and services, and most manufacturers use those terms. But um, it might be easier to explain what direct materials are. So uh, direct materials would be anything that goes in the bill of material for a manufacturer for the product they're producing. Uh, An example might be if you're making uh, automotive seats, 
the leather, the rails, the foam, all the stuff that goes into actually the, the seat assembly itself, those would be direct production materials. And anything that's used to make the seat in terms of tooling, um, safety supplies for the employees, uh, janitorial consumption, um, those would all be indirect materials. And DSSI so, focuses on the indirect side of the house, is that correct? Correct. And we have done that uh, through a you know group sourcing model where we buy for a group of clients and aggregate that spend together to provide, uh, we think, improved technologies, improved pricing, and uh, improved assurance of supply, which has been the hot topic over the last uh, year and a half with this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about that. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that we got your perspectives on the show as procurement, as supply chain experts. What are you hearing from your clients regarding supply chain concerns? Well, you know, it's we're feeling a lot of price pressures, but really that's kind of a symptom over this whole uh constrained resources and constraint and uh, supplies coming from things like, you know, shipping containers being uh, in short supply because there's so much backed up shipping in the ports, uh, delays in unloading from ports, um, you know, still some ramifications around shutdowns because of lack of labor supplies uh, that are going on throughout the supply chain. So that those constrained resources are still causing shortages. And, uh, you know, when supply is constrained, there's a lot of price pressure. So it's still a very stormy time in dealing with the supply chain and suppliers, both uh, for direct materials and indirect. We're experiencing the same things in indirect. Of course, this chip shortage in the auto industry is getting a lot of publicity we're all reading about. But um, that's just one very visible area where, uh, that we're seeing. But uh, in indirect, you know, we went through a very tough time of uh, the whole PPE uh, you know, topic during the pandemic was was um, causing shutdowns in many cases because you you couldn't have people working without masks or without the right uh, uh, hand sanitizers and all that stuff. All those mundane materials became critically important to keep up operations functioning. So, how did you help your clients in those moments? Um, you know, with the PPE, with these materials that, that you know, honestly, would keep employees safe but now i think more so they're mandated they're common practice now in many cases how did you how'd you help your clients navigate that well one thing for sure is we've all learned a lot about our supply chains in the last uh you know year and a half to almost two years now um the supply chain actually started to be stressed even before the u.s hit uh hit the pandemic you know buttons to shut everything down uh, back in March, we were seeing several months before that with China going through it, that things were starting to get in tight supply and uh, especially around the PPE commodities, the, uh, I'm using that term, but it's personal protection uh, commodities. So um, there was, a, to be honest, the, the first part of the pandemic, because of this painful lessons learned and the realization that we probably didn't all have the best tools in place um, to really keep the pulse of the, of the supply chain where it should have been. There was a lot of just roll up your sleeves, uh, firefighting, trying to find new sourcing. Um, and it was tough, it was very tough, but um, you know, you get through it and having consistent supply relationships where you have high volume 
uh, supply chains that are consistent over a long period of time ended up paying off quite a bit. So when even um, short supply items went on allocations, you could get at least a reasonable allocation because you had the right relationships with manufacturers like 3M, et cetera, that you could get apportioned out um, those difficult to find items to get to the customers that ultimately were consuming them. So, you you know, keeping the supply chain open ended up being very much relationship driven and the consistency of your supply chain partners during, the, during that, you know, during the real hub of this pandemic. I think what we've learned, Steve, is that there's better ways of doing this. To look at, let's say like a storeroom and the way things are stocked using kind of rear view mirror algorithms of saying, hey, look, here's what we know we need to stock because of past practices on consumption and lead times. Those would be very common ways to set um, MRO inventory levels for stock rooms, even on, let's say, critical items were viewed as critical. But now we're realizing that the past doesn't necessarily reflect the current or the future state of those supply chains. So uh, deeper insight, deeper looks at tier two, tier three um, resource, you know, resources that are impacting the supply chain and um, and more predictive models on the way goods are flowing through that supply chain are really where people are pushing toward now to say, how do we be in a better shape in the future? No one wanted to pay um, the kind of price we all had to pay to learn some of these lessons. But now that we have, you know, let's let's make sure, you know, that we invest in the right technologies and the right proactive driven strategies to prevent being, you know, short supplied or having shutdowns in the future rather than the very expensive proposition of addressing them as they're happening. Yeah, absolutely. The the woulda, coulda, shoulda is often more expensive than proactively addressing these things. The relationship piece is interesting to me. This industry has gone just made leaps and bounds improvements of what has historically been OEM and supplier relationships that focused on cost down, cost down, year over year and cost savings. That has changed uh, leaps and bounds over the, over the last decade. We're now in, we, we talk about just in time. We, we talk about these new, these two principles around supply chain procurement um, visibility deeper into supply chain and the vulnerabilities there are often now talked about more given the semiconductor issue. What kind of best practices, what kind of changes are you seeing when it comes to procurement that these type of recent uh, situations have uncovered? Uh, let me Let me ask that in a little cleaner way. Are the experiences that the industry facing now, is that changing fundamentally what have traditionally been supply chain procurement type of best practices? I think what it's, uh, my perspective on it is that I think it's making real a lot of the things that were theoretically understood and valued for a long time in procurement. Uh for 20 years, I've heard people talk about, you know, constructive partnerships with the supply chain and improving the relationships and really having true partnerships that are win-win and blah, 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 blah. And I, what I've seen too often is that as you head down that path, there's still this, um, you know, uh, deep need to squeeze and get more out and get more profitability and, you know, kind of, you um, uh, really test that supply chain and, you know, competitively source and, source and move sourcing around a little too quickly 
to chase, let's say, the nickels and dimes. And even though I think as procurement professionals, we all understood the value of deeper relationships and true partnerships and win-win kind of relationships, I think my personal vantage point was I saw that play out heavy in the pandemic where, you know, when the when you're really constrained on goods and you just can't get the materials that need to keep the, the sites open, all of a sudden you're not very concerned about costs at all. You're really concerned about just getting the materials. And the relationships we saw pay off were the ones that we had long-term, uh, you know, good constructive win-win relationships with that we had invested in over the years. Those supply chains tended to uh, continue to be de dependable and uh, reliable. And you got, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, even if it came as mundane as you were getting allocations consistent with your historical relationship with those companies, even if the price was up. So we did get pricing, you know, problems, but mm -hmm. we could still get the goods. And I think what we saw is without those relationships, if you only had, you know, year to year kind of, you know, we're moving our supply chain around every year, every two years, um, it was very difficult to to leverage those kind of relationships to continue to get good. So I think we saw in practice that long-term supply partnerships and seeing the supply chain as part of the extended enterprise is critically important um, and and much, you know, and for the long term, it really creates a tremendous amount of value around the organization. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our business practices are built to satisfy this quarter's profits, right? And, and we Absolutely. don't always see the payoff in those kind of investments, but they're very real when, you know, fires break out and you really need to be able to depend on a broader team and a deeper insight into that, uh, into securing your goods. I can imagine, and this is more so on the direct side, but I can imagine the relationship piece is going to be increasingly important when we talk about autonomy, when we talk about electrified, when we talk about these new frontiers of mobility, because the raw materials that make up all of the technologies that enable that are in large part not captive to the automotive industry. You've got the aerospace and you've got defense and you've got healthcare and you've got computer manufacturers all vying for the same chips, the same battery technology. So my sense, and I'd wonder your, your point of view on this, is that particularly around these suppliers that are not captive to auto, that relationship piece is going to become even more important. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, uh, 100%. And uh, procurement professionals are going to have to be much more forward thinking and able to commit their organizations around forward um, forward agreements, right? That commit both parties to uh, a longer term access to like, you know, these rare earth minerals that people are talking about in the news. Now, a lot of this stuff is, is very visible to us. You know, I'm reading some of the same articles you guys are and are you, you guys are producing your publication, which is great. But, um, you know, if you're not doing forward looking, uh, price agreements, forward-looking supply agreements that are going to address the volumes that your company needs to actually, you know, um, fulfill the production opportunities that you're that you're afforded because of the success of your products. You're just not going to be able to produce products. It, uh, it's a very serious issue and very real, and I think it's going to put the procurement professionals, you know, up front in terms of uh, the value propositions going forward that uh, the companies can deliver. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. 
Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important as a procurement organization to have strategies around MRO and and, and indirect and uh, hardware and software, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we see too often that indirect and MRO, even within that indirect expense bucket, uh, isn't seen as strategic or hasn't uh, historically been seen as strategic. I think this last year and a half did change some of that because um, some of the of indirect, course, yeah. uh, some of the indirect supply constraints is what was shutting people down or, or causing uh, the inability to have people come into the work. So um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, in terms of the expense and profit picture, you know, the, the bottom line, right, your profitability doesn't really care if the money comes from indirect savings from, from indirect materials or savings from production good, right? It all spends the same. So if you can save 30% by, you know, uh, optimizing, let's say, your PPE or your Jansan uh, purchases or services, um, that still flows to the bottom line and is just as healthy for the company as uh, savings coming out of direct materials. But you're right, it does get often overlooked to the point where some companies really don't hardly manage their MRO purchases that can be done site by site, user by user, and it's more of a, a consumption um, uh, issue than it is a, a price or price managed issue from a professional pr- procurement perspective. But we see over and over again that, um, you know, that's leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, that optimization effort, it starts pretty basic, Steve. It starts with knowing what you're buying. It's shocking how many companies out there, uh, let's say mid-level manufacturers, don't even really know what they're buying in terms of MRO and indirect. And when I say that, I'm talking about the specific items you're buying, the manufacturer name and part number of the item that that you're consuming as part of your production process in many cases, or in part of your day-to-day consumables that your employees are need to in order to operate. So um, you have to know what you're buying and and you have to look at how you're applying it and how you're making sure you're you have the right supply chain around that to ensure you've got uh, a secure supply chain and then as well as are you optimizing uh, in terms of pricing and and sourcing on that item so what are some of the common challenges that you 
help your clients with when it comes to their indirect sourcing? Um, you know, how big are those challenges? Um, is, you know, is, is the fact that different plants might be using different cutting tools, right? Really that big of a deal. It sounds from, from what you just said that, yeah, those costs certainly add up, but more broadly, what are some of the challenges that, that when a client comes knocking on your door and they're talking about indirect, um, what are some of the challenges that you hear most frequently? So again, uh, a lot of times we start off with a client engagement you know, looking at what they're buying today. And oftentimes when you look at that data, you might have a distributor number, you might have nonsensical data, like I, I buy PCs and, and POs are even written that way. So driving in at what they're actually consuming and, and knowing what those items are at a manufacturer name and part number level allows you to then start looking at, you know, what is the competitive price for that item? What's the best supply chain? How do I secure that item where I can make sure I'm filling it uh, across the enterprise in multiple sites? And then you start looking at common applications within that manufacturer that go on uh, in various different you know plant locations. And are they using, for the example you used was, are they using you know the same or similar or different cutting tools for perhaps the same exact application uh, within their uh, manufacturing cycle? at different sites and you look for opportunities to standardize. Um, standardization in indirect has the impact of uh, creating common environments across plants. So when you visit one plant that a company operates, it looks and feels like the other one. Things start looking and feeling the same and you um, start getting similar quality results. So you don't have that variability in terms of quality outputs when you're commonizing and standardizing on um, the consumables or the tooling, for example, that you're you're talking about across the enterprise. In addition, you create aggregation opportunities, right? You buy more of the same item, which allows you to improve your pricing and and dependability of supply for that item. Um, and that again, that can apply across most of the MRO. It, it it can be as mundane as the same cleaners you're using uh, in the plant to um, similar cutting tools, process tools. Um, to the PPE, you know, the gloves, you are using the right glove for the right application to protect your employee, but also then commonizing every place you use that glove uh, and, and getting a better price and, and securing your supply. You've talked about data. You've talked about algorithms. Research that we've done recently among our readers say that uh, deeper supply chain visibility is, is something of interest, uh, something that they need to get better at because of the vulnerabilities that recent supply chain disruptions have revealed. Yet, our research also shows that when it comes to the question of are you making investments in technology to improve your supply chain visibility, to improve planning, our research shows that it doesn't rank much more than a medium priority among most of our respondents to our recent research. That seems a bit of a paradox to me. Can you talk about how important technology is to creating more supply chain visibility and maybe talk a little bit about how DSSI is using technology? Sure. Um, I think we touched on this earlier, but I think unfortunately, Many times the investments that are that are bubbled up in 
the procurement, supply chain, logistics um, opportunities in the company or those functions in the company, they don't create the flashiest news item, right? That's going to boost profits in the very next quarter or maybe even in the next year. So it can be really difficult for the C-level executives to prioritize those or even, you know, support them at all because, you know, they're being held to what, you know, how are you going to get, how you get the stock price up next, next quarter, next month, next year. Right. And so these tend to be longer term investments. Um, they can be framed with extremely positive ROIs in terms of the ability to, to optimize and capture savings and keep that, those savings over the long haul. You can really see the payoff, um, but they tend to not be the ones that get the most um, appeal for near-term uh, uh, profitability. Um, long-term, I think the companies that understand that to protect uh, their ability to produce their products and realize their forward-looking projections, these investments become critical. And um, there's technologies. The major players right now are, are surrounding and coming out with uh, uh, really interesting uh, technologies. Even people like IBM and Microsoft have offerings in the space now of supply chain visibility and, and monitoring and tracking so you can really see your product flow uh, through uh, beginning to end from, you know, raw material suppliers all the way through until it's in your shop and you're producing your end product. Um, there's a lot of, there's a bunch of, uh, of emerging players out there too. I mean, you can Google and do some general searches and you'll get a whole bunch of companies pop up in the space right now. Um, I think it's exciting and um, I think you're going to see uh, investments made in this area. I understand, um, you know, what you're talking about though, that um, it doesn't always get the, uh, you know, the, quite the priorities that it probably should. Um, and I, I just think that those are going to take the, you know, lead executive uh, uh, commitments mm-hmm. to, um, to really push those forward in their companies and, and, and make the cases, the business cases that these investments are, are uh, long term, um, extremely valuable and, and critical if they're gonna function in the world as it's evolving right now. And when you talk about the electrification and these uh, materials that are in competitive demand across industries, um, I don't see how uh, you're gonna get through it if you don't have these kind of tools in your war chest. From a DSI perspective, um, we, for a long time, we have a a suite of e-procurement tools that we're quite proud of. Uh, We have major industrial clients that we work with um, that rely on those to have visibility through supply chain. Uh, we're constantly evolving them and um, in, in trying to incorporate some of these this new thinking, even in our direct materials. But um, it's it is a it is a constant quest uh, for continuous improvement in that regard in terms of visibility to the buy. Um, probably the most notable um, advantage DSSI gives clients though is is that knowledge of what you're buying in this messy mro space where you got millions of different SKUs, thousands of different suppliers hundreds or even more different requisitioners or or customers inside the company that procure indirect and um putting a common platform around that so people are all dealing with the same information and that's based on you know good item sourcing data and um, and an understanding of who those suppliers are 
um, over time. I think that visibility across all those stakeholders is quite valuable to our clients. So, Well, as you talked about earlier, the cost of not doing that is often more expensive than investing in these types of technologies. And I think other industries prove that it's capable, right? So example, the aerospace industry, they are very good at understanding where nuts and bolts come from. One would argue, some might argue that aerospace perhaps is a little bit more closer to national security and defense and those type of things. So there's a need for that. But from a supply chain perspective, the principles and the needs and the cost of doing it versus not, I think, are pretty uh, transferable from from an industry like aerospace to auto, to automotive. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that, um, you know, like a lot of evolutions that happen, I think just it's too bad it took the kind of pain that we all went through. But I think there is some real positive revelations that came out of this. We just wish they weren't as costly to learn these lessons, right, as what we all paid. We all paid a big price to learn these lessons. But um, I think the best among us procurement professionals will learn the lessons and will uh, be able to sell their companies and and explain to their companies the the rationale for investing in these tools and and uh, taking on a much deeper insight uh, into the supply chain. Even with the technology, Steve, I don't want to underestimate what it takes to just do some good, deep purchasing diagnostic work. Uh, even in those, you know, establishing those technology tools, it still takes uh, purchasing professionals to dig deeply into the supply chain, ask a lot of the tough questions of their suppliers and the tier two suppliers and the tier three suppliers to see where the weak links are, right? And and weed those out and then and then wrap the technology around that so you can, uh, you know, continue to uh, monitor and take on mitigation strategies as you see things not going the way you want them to go. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me today on the show and sharing your expertise on procurement and supply chain and helping companies think about how to improve and enhance their capabilities going forward. I appreciate you taking a few minutes and, and joining me on the show. Thank you, Steve. That's Daily Drive for Friday, July 30th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. As always, thanks for listening and have a terrific weekend.